With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Pittsburgh. He's kind of on the small side, just five foot nine. Is that a concern? 
A little bit. I mean, he's he, he's the smallest. He was the smallest corner in the, in the whole draft. When they went to the combine, they obviously weighed and measured everybody, and he was the smallest corner in the class uh, at five nine and just that and just barely five nine. So um, he's undersized, but he's a, he's a very talented player. I mean, if he had been two inches taller, uh, he probably would have been you know he probably would have been a second round pick. Uh, but um, at that size, he would he would have some trouble playing on the outside. He would have trouble playing uh, what they call the border corner from the guy who plays on the far outside against the wide receiver, matches up usually against the big guys out there. That would pose a problem. But I, I don't think the Eagles are going to look at him there. I think they have a very specific plan in mind for him, and that is to work him in the slot because now the Eagles have lost Patrick Robinson, who was a very nice addition for them last year, but he's now gone. And they need to find somebody that can play that play that slot receiver, and that's an area where you kind of need to have a smaller guy because he's working in that confined space. Most of your slot defenders, most of your slot corners, tend to be on the smaller side, and the receivers tend to be on the smaller side. So that's that's I think that the Eagles had that in mind when they drafted him, and that's kind of where they envision him playing is he's going to be in the slot and the bigger corners, uh, Jalen Mills, Sidney Jones. Uh, and uh, and Darby will play will play the outside where they'll match up on the bigger receivers. Ray, what's going on with the linebacker situation? Is Michael Kendricks sticking around for another season? Can Jordan Hicks stay healthy? Uh, the fact that Kendricks is still here would suggest to me that he's probably going to stay. Uh, you know, there's a lot of speculation that he might be uh, they might move him during the draft to add an extra pick. Well, they didn't do that, and the fact that he's still here sort of suggests to me that he's likely to be here for the season and. The fact is they don't exactly have an abundance of linebackers. I mean, they kind of they kind of need them uh, right now. It's not like they have linebackers to spare. I mean, you've got right now, you've got Kendricks. They've re-signed Bradham. Hicks is back healthy for the time being. And, you know, they've added uh, Corey Nelson, who uh, was a was a really, a, I, I think, a pretty good signing. Not, there wasn't a whole lot of, uh, wasn't a whole lot of attention paid to that. Uh, but he's he's a good player. He'll certainly... Uh, he he will immediately help you on special teams, but I, I think that he's a guy that can uh, has the talent to work into the defensive rotation too. So right now, I right now I kind of have a feeling that uh, Michael Kendricks is is going to be here, and that's fine with me. I mean, he uh, he played very well last year. Everybody everybody kind of wrote him off before last season started, but because of some injuries, he had to wind up staying and playing a lot. And I thought he played I thought he played really well. Uh, we also got the news over the weekend that Darren Sproles is coming back. Uh, what do you make of that news? And, you know, is he going to be the old Darren Sproles that we saw a couple of years ago? Well, is he going to be the old Darren Sproles or is he going to be the old Darren Sproles? I guess yes, that's a question. I'm not surprised because he had been saying at the end of the season that he wanted to come back. Before last season started, he had indicated that he thought last season was going to be his last. But then he got hurt in week three and – you know, I just think he didn't want to go out that way. You know, he wanted to come back and play and play some more, and uh, the, the Eagles are only too happy to keep him. I, I think the when, with the trade down, among the advantages that you got when they traded down uh, from the first round to the second round was they they actually saved a little money there, and I think they used some of that money to uh, to re-sign Sproles, and uh, I, I welcome him back. I mean, he's he's not going to be a, a high volume player. He's not going to carry the ball between the tackles he's not going to carry it all that much I mean if he's getting 10 touches a game that'll be a lot but you can still you can still use him in the passing game uh you can definitely use him as a change of pace runner uh behind 
uh, Ajayi and Clement, and uh, and right away he's going to be your punt returner because you know you know he's going to you know he's he's going to use good judgment. He's not going to field balls inside his own five yard line. You don't have to worry about him fumbling balls away. Uh, he's sure-handed. He's experienced and. Even at his age, I, you know, he's he's got that. He really hasn't lost that quickness that allows him to make that first guy miss, and you wind up with a you can turn what looks like a five-yard return into a 50-yard return. So, uh, I, I kind of thought he was going to come back, and and I think I'm sure I, I well, you can see the expression on Doug Peterson's face when he announced that he's very happy to have him back. Speaking of running backs, in addition to Darren Sproles, now last year it was Corey Clement who they signed as a free agent. Uh, this year they signed Josh Adams, the Notre Dame product. Um, do you think Adams can make the team despite not being drafted? Uh, sure. I mean, you saw with Corey Clement last year that that, that that happens. And, you know, running back is one of those positions where guys come out of the late rounds of the draft and sometimes free agency and not only make teams, but make an impact. Uh, and so that wouldn't shock me. Adams is, uh, uh, I think anybody that uh, pays attention to Notre Dame football saw him last year. Uh, he had a pretty big year, and uh, in fact, the mid-season, if you looked at the, when people were doing like handicapping the top five or six Heisman Trophy candidates, he was in there for for a good long while. Uh, he had some big runs. He had, if I'm not mistaken, I think he had a streak of four consecutive weeks where he had at least one 70-yard run in there, which for a big power back is pretty good. Um, so, I mean, I, I knew that because his production tailed off at the end of the year. Uh, and I also knew that, you know, he's not, even though he's fast, he's not what you would call quick. Uh, and I know that the pro scouts were kind of looking at him as a guy that, eh, I don't know how much he's going to be able to contribute at the next level. But uh, I, I thought I thought somebody would take him on day three. I was a little surprised that he got fell all the way through the draft. But given the situation the Eagles were in, where they don't have a whole lot of running backs, and, you know, you lost one of your power backs in, in LeGarrette Blunt. Yeah, I thought it was. I thought it was a good signing. I mean, you know, you go, this time last year, nobody really thought Corey Clement was going to be much of a factor, and it turned out that he was a big factor. I mean, he helped them a lot during the season, and he helped them big time in the Super Bowl. Okay, now it looks like Bill is back. Bill, while you were gone, we talked about the fact that Michael Kendricks will probably be back. As you know, we talked about Dallas Goddard, talked about Darren Sproles returning, and the drafting of Josh Adams or the signing of Josh Adams, the free agent. So, what do you got for us, Bill? Sorry, I apologize for the problems here. I don't know what's going on, but I was pushing buttons and trying to push all the ones that didn't disconnect you two. Well, now so, you're back. Uh, we're back. But, hey, Ray, I wanted to ask you, were you surprised in the draft that uh, they didn't go linebacker anywhere? To me, that's a that's a huge weakness. Uh, you, you mentioned Kendricks while I was off, but to me, I thought that would be an area they would definitely look at. Uh, I thought they might, but, you know, they, they sort of followed their board. I mean, in the in the final round, I mean, they could have easily. There were a few linebackers still around, uh, and they, but they decided to take a flyer on the on the big Aussie. Uh, but I, yeah, I mean, I was a little surprised. I thought that they would come out of there with a, with at least one linebacker. But when we were talking just a moment ago about Josh Adams uh, signed as a free agent running back, uh, they signed a uh, they signed a free agent linebacker who uh, I think has a chance to. Uh, to make a uh, make a little noise, and that's uh, Joe Osman, who's a defensive end. He was a defensive end in college at, at Central Michigan, but I think he projects as a linebacker in the NFL. I was surprised that he didn't get drafted. I had a I had a draftable grade on him. I had him as a as a guy I thought was going to go in the sixth round. He winds up falling all the way through. But 
I think he's a guy that will have an opportunity because they don't have a ton of linebackers, which means that this kid is going to get a lot of reps in spring camp. He's going to get a lot of reps in training camp. And I think he has, I think he has the ability to stick. Um, he was very, very good. Uh, I had heard good things about him. Of course, I don't, you know, who gets to see Central Michigan, really. But I, I knew he got an invitation to the East-West Shrine game. And uh, so I, I watched that game, and I watched him in particular. And, and he was he was very good. I mean, he had six tackles. He had two tackles for a loss. He had a sack. He had a quarterback hurry and it broke up a pass. Uh, I mean, he played a lot of snaps, and he was all over the field. And he certainly didn't look overmatched against the Division One competition. So uh, it was a little bit of a surprise that nobody drafted him. He was not invited to the combine. I mean, he's one of those guys that just kind of got overlooked. But sometimes guys get overlooked, and then they surprise you when they're given an opportunity. So I thought they would come away with a linebacker in the draft, and they didn't. But who knows? They may have found a linebacker in free agency in Joe Osman. And, Ray, speaking of surprises, you mentioned the fact that uh, they took a big Aussie, Jordan Mileta, the rugby player from Sydney, Australia. How much rugby have you watched, Ray? Not much. The only thing that I've seen is, I guess, what everybody has seen at this point, which is the YouTube stuff, which is, <laughs> it's actually kind of funny <laughs> yeah. to, watch, to watch people bounce off this guy as he's, as he's running around in his rugby uniform. You know, I thought it was, I don't know, I, Dick Vermeil and I were, I was at dinner with Dick Vermeil last night. We did a charity thing, and we, we were talking about it, and I, I wouldn't have drafted the guy. I mean, I, I just think it's such, I just think it's such a, a long, long, long shot. You're ever going to get this guy on the field. I would, I would, even though it's a seventh round pick, I would have used it on a football player. Uh, but, um, but Dick, who Lord knows is one of the great coaches we've, we've ever seen said he would have done it. Uh, he said he didn't think it was that much of a stretch. Uh, he said the guy obviously has the size and the athletic ability. It just, you need a little patience to work with him and teach him how to play the game. But you know, Dick thinks of this as, as a redshirt year, which it probably is. I mean, he's not going to—he's—I mean, he's not going to play the regular season, that's for sure. But you know, Dick said if you have a good coaching staff, and he believes the Eagles have a good coaching staff, that with one year of here, if the kid really applies himself, that by next year, that he could actually compete for for playing time. So yeah, Dick said, you know, I said I wouldn't have drafted him, but Dick said I would have. So hey, listen, I'll—I'll I'll def- you know, in, 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 in matters like this, I'll defer to. I'll defer to the guy with the Super Bowl ring, and, uh, and, he, and, 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 he, and he, he said he would have taken him. Interesting. Wait, well, Ray, as, as the first round unfolded, were you surprised at all? That, was Baker Mayfield getting to the top uh, a little surprising? And, and I think, um, you know, Saquon looked like he was certainly going to be number two. And my guess was that uh, the Browns must have felt the Giants or the Jets would take Mayfield if they didn't. But, because the uh, the amateurs looked at it and said, "Hey, he could have got Barkley at one and Mayfield at four. Yeah, no, they uh, they were pretty sure that that Mayfield would not have gotten to four, and they were determined to come out of this with a quarterback. Um, I mean, the Browns have been burned so badly at the quarterback position now that they felt like they had to go get a quarterback, and they made the they made the determination that Mayfield was their guy. I like Mayfield. I didn't love him, but I mean that's kind of how I felt about this whole quarterback class. I, I mean, for all the talk and all the conversation about what a great quarter, quote unquote quarterback class this was, I, I frankly I didn't see it. I just I didn't think any of them were top ten players to me. Uh, I mean, I just wasn't I just wasn't that impressed. I mean, I don't think any of these guys are even close to what Goff and Wentz were, uh, and I don't think any of them were as good as the three guys last year. Uh, uh, Trubisky, Watson, and Mahomes. I think all those guys were better than these guys. But, 
you just it just there was a market created this year because you had so many teams that needed quarterbacks that all of a sudden, I mean, all the conversations are flying back and forth about these quarterbacks. And a week before the draft, I'm hearing guys comparing this to the class of Marino L. L. Wayne Kelly. I said, are you are you kidding me? I didn't see it. I mean, I I had Josh Rosen as as my number one because I just think if you if you look at the tape on all of them, I mean, he just throws the ball better. He's just he's just he's just a pure passer. But it was interesting again talking to Dick Vermeil last night. Vermeil liked Mayfield. Uh, of the, he liked him the best of all of them. You know, Mayfield. Listen, he can't argue with a seventy percent completion percentage, which is what he had. Um, and uh, he he never turns the ball over. He doesn't make mistakes. He doesn't throw interceptions. Um, so you like that about him. Um, a lot of people are concerned about his height. He's just a little bit over six feet. Uh, but uh, you know, when you watched him play in college, he didn't get a whole lot of balls batted down. Uh, and he is and he he is a competitive guy. Uh, and he does play well in big games, which is important. Um, Dick, is, Dick said he was around him at a couple of events this year. Mayfield came in to receive the Maxwell Club Award this year, and Dick was there, met him, spent a weekend with him, liked him. Uh, Dick also was with him down in Orlando, I guess, for the College Football Awards. Uh, he said he's been around the kid. And he said he's cocky. He said he's definitely cocky, but not, but not in a in a way that he that Dick thinks is going to pose a problem. So. You know, I was asking Dick, you know, if you, if any of these quarterbacks, if you'd if you'd take a shot at any of them, and he said, you know, I would take. I I think that Cleveland picked the right guy. I think it's Mayfield. So, you know, again, I uh, you know, Dick's the guy that you know picked his quarterbacks well. I mean, he picked Ron Jaworski when nobody knew who he was. Uh, got him off the Rams. He's a guy that saw something in Kurt Warner when nobody else did. He you know he made Trent Green into a millionaire. So, I mean, Dick knows quarterbacks, and uh, he looked at this whole bunch and he said it was Mayfield. He thought it was Mayfield by a by a healthy margin. Well, Ray, apparently the New York football giants weren't impressed with the quarterback group either because they had a shot at one at number two. But uh, instead of taking the quarterback, they opted for Saquon Barkley, whom I know you like. Did the Giants do the right thing in not going for Eli's successor right there? Yeah, I, I definitely think so. I I couldn't understand. I still can't understand uh, the people who are trying to make a case for taking a quarterback there. To me, you got Eli's thirty-seven now. And I, I think, look, he's, has, he, has he slipped a little bit? Yeah. But he can still play. Uh, I think if you're the Giants, if I was Dave Gittleman, the general manager, my thought would have been, look, I want to get the best out of whatever Eli's got left now. If he's got two years left, I want it to be two good years. Well, you're, you're not going to help him by bringing his successor in. I mean, the way you're going to get the max out of Eli or whatever Eli's got left is by putting better players around him. Uh, and I think that was Gittleman's game plan for the whole offseason. He goes out and signs Nate Solder to play left tackle. He brings in Saquon Barkley, who, in, in my view, was, I mean, far and away the best player in this draft. So they, they have a running game, which they now haven't had in years. Uh, and then his second draft pick, he brings in Will Hernandez, who's a tough, tough, nasty offensive lineman who's going to start right away. And now all of a sudden you put those guys together with uh, Odell Beckham Jr. and Sterling Shepard and Evan Ingram from last year, and now the Giants have a pretty formidable offense, I think. So to me that makes a lot more sense than just reaching for, you know, a, the quote-unquote franchise quarterback, the successor, who I don't think was there. If there had been a really good quarterback there, a guy you really believe strongly in, that, okay, this guy, yeah, this guy is, is the real thing, and he can come in and learn under Eli for a year, maybe two years, and then step in. I don't feel that way about any of these guys. So, I mean, if I have, if I have the option between the best player in the draft and a guy who I think can be a superstar running back and make me better right now and a quarterback who's at best a maybe, 
I'll take I'll take Barkley. And to me, that's that, that's. I mean, I'm running that card up to Commissioner Goodell. I'm not, I'm not walking. Mm-hmm. I'm going to run it up there because I because I think Barkley's going to be that good. I think he's. I mean, he's the best way of describing him. One scout said this, and I think it's a good description. He said he's Zeke Elliott without the baggage. I think that's exactly right. I mean, he's he's as good as Elliott, maybe better as a player, and you don't have any of the off the field concerns. I mean, he's. This kid, I, I think this kid has a chance to be superstar. I mean, I think this kid has a chance to be within a couple of years like one of these guys that's like the face of the league. I really do. I, th- I okay. think he's that good. Yep, me too. Well, hey, Ray, we haven't talked to you, I think, since January 11th. And uh, since then, we had a pretty nice playoff run and a, and a Super Bowl championship. Uh, how? What was your take as these games were unfolding? And the Eagles just seemed to keep playing better and better each week, it seemed like. And all the pieces were falling in, and boy, they they sure made it for a fun January force. Yeah, it was amazing. It it, it really was amazing. I'll tell you that when you're talking about the postseason, the game that worried me the most was the Atlanta game because they were coming off two pretty lackluster performances uh, against Oakland and Dallas, uh, and going into the postseason, I, I don't think anybody really knew what to expect from Falls. Uh, I think that Atlanta game to me was a scary game and I think it was for most people but once they got past that one uh and in that one Foles didn't play great but he played well enough to get the win once they got past that one uh I thought they had a chance I really did because Minnesota even though Minnesota had a really good defense I didn't think their offense was anything special I, and I, the Eagles had played such great defense at home all year do you realize the Eagles this year I didn't realize this until until the, actually it was the Minnesota game. The Eagles didn't give up a rushing touchdown at home all year. You realize wow. that? Wow. that? Is that is that incredible? In eight regular season games and two postseason games, at the link, they did not give up a single rushing touchdown. I mean, that's Pretty amazing. Impressive. That's amazing. So, <laughs> that is but amazing. They, but, they had played, but they had played great defense at home all year. So I thought their defense was going to give Case Keenum a rough night. And I thought they were going to shut the Vikings down. And if they scored at all, I thought that they could win a kind of a low-scoring game against the Minnesota defense. Well, it turns out they, they blew them off the field. And after that, once they got past that game and, and won as impressively as they won, and Foles played as great as he played, I thought at that point, I, I, that night, I, I said to Seth Joyner, I said, they're going to win the Super Bowl. I really believe it. I, I mean, they, the way they dominated Minnesota that night, I really thought they were going to go on and win it. And when I got out to Minnesota and was around them in the days leading up to the to the championship game, the Super Bowl, uh, I became fully convinced they were going to win it because they were just so – the mood of the team was so confident. The players were so confident. Um, the, the coaches the coaches were loose. The players were loose. Uh, there wasn't any of that first time at the Super Bowl nervousness that you sometimes see uh, when guys are there for the first time. I mean, these guys were loose, and they were they, – I mean, they couldn't wait to play that game. So by the time Sunday rolled around, I I fully believed that they were going to win. Now, I knew it wasn't going to be easy, and it proved not to be, but I, I really believed that they were going to go out and beat the Patriots, and, and they did, and, and in one of the most – probably one of the most entertaining Super Bowls ever. Mm, absolutely. And, Ray, because of that, uh, the Super Bowl victory, you were busy most of February and March in hibernation rewriting, updating the Eagles Encyclopedia. So tell us about that. When can we expect that new updated version of the Encyclopedia? Uh, the target date is September. Uh, we're hoping to get it out right around the opener. We don't know. We, we can't guarantee it. Uh, it may be a couple weeks later, 
but we're shooting for we're shooting for middle of September. It's a big book. I mean, it's almost 500 pages. So the printing of it is going to take a while. Uh, I, I'm real happy with it. It was it was a lot of work and probably the toughest deadline I've ever been up against. I mean, I had to write oh, it was, oh, was 50,000 words in three weeks, basically. And uh, so, but that that was the deadline to, to get the book out in the fall. We had to meet that deadline, and we did. Uh, so I think we got a really nice book here. This book is going. To, this edition is going to have color photography, which the other books, the other editions didn't have. Uh, we've got a really beautiful cover shot this year uh, of the parade on Broad Street. Um, I think it's a real handsome book, and you know I had to obviously put in everything that's happened since the last edition, which was after Chip Kelly's first year, and then I had to go back. I had to put all of the new stuff in, and then I also had to go back and do a lot of rewriting because a lot of what was in the other in the last edition has changed. Obviously, I had to rewrite the Chip Kelly chapter, I had to rewrite the Howie Roseman chapter. You know, I had to update the, you know, I had to in, insert guys like Aguilar and Ertz and stuff like that. But, um, you know, I had to rewrite Jeff Laurie uh, and then go back even through the old stuff, Chad, even through, you know, I had to go back. People say, what do you, you know, what do you have to reread the Steve Van Buren chapter for? Well, you know, there are lines in there about how many club records he holds. And, you know, now a couple of them have fallen. So oh, yeah. to try to try and I mean, almost you couldn't assume that everything was unchanged because almost everything changes in football. So I had to go back and proofread all of that stuff in addition to adding all the stuff of the last five years. So it was a big, it, it was some heavy lifting there. But uh, I'm real happy with the way it turned out, and uh, hopefully, uh, you know, hopefully we'll have it on time and people will be able to rush out and, and get it in September. Can't wait. All right, Ray. Well, hey. Uh, we used up all your time again, and uh, we could talk about this all night long and have a fun have a fun time doing it. But we appreciate you taking the time to join us for the tenth time. Always a pleasure, guys. Congratulations on a great five years. All right, Thank hey, you, Ray. Ray, we're we're planning on trying to see you over at the uh, Dick Vermeil Golf Outing again as well. I will certainly be there. I don't, I don't. I'm not a golfer, so I'm not out there on the links during the day. But I'll be there for the dinner. Fantastic. We'll see you there. Too. Okay, I'll see you then. Thanks, okay. Ray. Take care, guys. Bye-bye. We're joined now by Chris Gaskill from the Irish Rover Station House in Langhorn. And, Chris, I know you're getting ready for May 13th, Mother's Day. you got some big doings. Yes, we have a very lovely brunch for all of the women in your life. If you would like to make a reservation, give us a call. We have uh, limited space available. Um, and then we'll do a really wonderful menu in the evening. To make reservations, call 267-560-5240. And, hey, Chris, I know you got some more Phillies tailgates coming up this summer. Yes, we are really excited to be partnering with Budweiser this year. So they are sponsoring us, and once a month we will have dates picked out for a tailgate party, and you can win tickets to the game. Fantastic. Thank you, Chris Gaskill. And by the way, this Saturday at the Irish Orbit, you can watch the Kentucky Derby. Enjoy Estella Artois and keep the chalice. And, hey, Bill, just so you know, not only is Saturday Derby Day, it is also Cinco de Mayo. Oh, there you go. <laughs> is, is that does that mean that uh, Jim Chachesco will be out throwing a few back this Saturday? I may have a little tequila this weekend. <laughs> there you go. Well, hey, Chad, as we mentioned in the opening, the Sixers started out slow in game one against Boston. They struggled all night hitting three-pointers. By the time they settled in by going in to paint the Joel Embiid, they were trading two points for three points against those hot shooting Celtics, and now they're down the game in the series. Yeah, not a good start to the series for Brett Brown's club. 
when you shoot poorly and play subpar defense, that's a recipe for disaster, of course. The fact that they lost by only 16 is something of a miracle given how poorly they played. Uh, look, the Celtics are not as good as they looked Monday night shooting trays. The Sixers are certainly nowhere near as bad as they played in that one. So I fully expect a Philly win Thursday night and a long series. As you know, I picked the Sixers to beat the Heat in five, and that's what happened. And if you read my preview piece on this one on Sunday, Bill, I said Sixers in seven. So settle in for a good long series. Yeah, I, I think you're right about this, seven, and I, and I actually have to agree with you tonight. I hate that. That doesn't make it any fun, but uh, <laughs> I'm with you. I'm with you that uh, I think the Sixers are certainly going to play better. Uh, I don't think Boston is going to shoot. I think they were one shot under 50%, or, uh, yeah, under 50% from the three-point line. Um, they're not going to shoot that well either. So I'm with you. I think you're going to be in for a good game. Physical matchup, too. Yeah, it's another physical series, but, you know, I, I just can't imagine that Rozier and these other guys are as good as they looked the other night. And, you know, Brett Brown's going to make some adjustments, so I think it's going to go a lot better from here on out. Me too. Well, hey, you had an opportunity yesterday to sit down with uh, the guy who's now becoming a friend of ours, I guess, instead of an en- enemy, that obnoxious Boston fan, Bill Sparrows. Uh, we, we talked to him before the Super Bowl, and uh, I'm sure I have not heard this interview, so uh, you might have hit on that with him that we beat them, of course. Uh, but you got to <laughs> you speak bet. with him after game one. Yeah, and as I noted last time we had him on, he's not really that obnoxious. He may rile a few people up with his mention of the greatness of Bill Belichick, Brad Stevens, and Danny Ainge, but otherwise we had a good talk about the long Celtics-Sixers rivalry and the current series, and yes, a little Super Bowl talk too, so... Here is our chat. All right, we talked with this guy just before the Super Bowl, and we liked how that turned out for Philadelphia, so we thought we'd invite him back to talk Celtics-Sixers and the renewal of a great sports rivalry. He's a columnist with the Boston Herald, known to folks up there as Obnoxious Boston Fan. He's also known as Bill Sparrows. Bill, welcome back to Philly Press Box Radio. Yeah, I hope I get my Super Bowl ring pretty soon from you guys. (laughs) That was a hell of a game. We'll talk a little football at the end of our uh, conversation, but we've got to talk hoops first of all, Bill. And before we talk about the current series between Boston and Philadelphia, which Game 1 is in the books, what memories stand out for you from this storied Celtics-Sixers rivalry? Well, I came of age in the early 80s. So I would say the 80, 81, and 82 conference finals is really the first you know, memories that I have because of my age and history. And the first thing that always jumps out at me about those games is that they weren't on live television during the week. Yeah, You'd listen to them on the radio, then you'd watch a tape delay of the game at 1130. And, of course, we only watched the game if the Celtics won. So we'd listen to Johnny Most on the radio, and, of course, the Celtics got robbed on every call and every foul. <laughs> there is a violent, violent knockdown by Lambert. A completely unnecessary foul by Lambert, and he has the audacity to complain about something. Every referee in the league was on the take against the Celtics, and, you know, this was pre-everything, so you didn't have the Internet, you didn't have social media, you couldn't watch these games on your smartphone. I remember sitting in my living room listening to those games, games but of course the sunday games you get those live on on cbs and i was maybe i don't know 15 16 at the time and like any young person when you're experiencing something you just kind of think oh this is the norm and of course it wasn't the norm to have dr j and, and larry bird and andrew tony and dennis johnson and robert Parrish and, and moses malone and kevin McHale, guys of that stature going at it and the stat that in this 
rivalry and this playoff rivalry, there's been 41 Pro Basketball Hall of Famers that have participated in it, which is more than in any other playoff rivalry, including Celtics-Lakers. Yep. So that gives you an idea of, of the stature of talent. I mean, some rivalries are just rivalries because, you know, geography. This rivalry grew because of the talent of the players involved. And, hey, you mentioned Andrew Toney. One of my favorite memories, of course, 1982, the East Finals, Game 7, when Toney, the Boston Strangler, scored those 34 points to help the Sixers advance. And then, of course, the Celtics fans chanting, Beat L.A. as the clock wound down. What a, what a special memory that is. You know, I, I was watching that game on, on TV, and it being a Sunday, <laughs> so the game was televised live. And I think that was really the first time that I ever saw fans from Boston acknowledge or recognize and appreciate the team that beat them. I mean, the Yankees had been beating the hell out of them for decades. And at the time, I never thought, oh, wow, geez, of course, Reggie Jackson, Catfish Hunter, Rich Gossage, all these Hall of Famers, the Yankees, a great team. No, back in the 70s and, you know, the Billy Martin's brown shirts. But when that team, when that 82 team beat the Celtics in the fans, they started the PDLA chip. That was really the first time that Boston fans ever recognized the fact that, hey, there was a better team that just flat out beat us. Congrats to them. And we hate the Lakers way more than we'll ever hate the Sixers. You know, the, the Patriots fan, it's like with the Patriots and the Giants. The Patriots don't hate the Giants. They respect what the Giants did. And I think the same holds true with the Eagles, to be honest, at least after this past game. But it, it was the same with the Celtics and the Sixers. They hated each other. The fans hated each other. But it was always like, oh, we know these guys are good. We hate them. Whereas it's like the Yankees, well, they just suck. <laughs> and the Lakers, no, they suck. There's a lot in common. Philly and Boston have been joined at the hip for 250 years, and they both hate New York. So there's always a little commonality. And, of course, you know, it, it bled over with the Bruins and the Flyers and, and for our great-great-grandparents that 1915 World Series, too, that was a bond burner. So, uh, you know, it's it's a rivalry out of not so much geography, but out of the fact that the cities are so similar in so many ways. You know, it's it's like a relative, a cousin or something that, that you're always kind of competing against because he's so much like you. Yes, indeed. Okay, let's get back to 2018. Game one, of course, going to the Celtics, 117-101. Philly shooting just 5 of 26 from three-point land. Boston hitting 17 to 36 threes, meanwhile. Great games from Terry Rozier, Jason Tatum, and Al Horford. I'm sure you expected everything to play out just that way, Bill, right? <laughs> well, I, I wasn't in Brad Stevens' pregame coaching breakdown, but during the game and then afterwards, he said their plan was to deny the three. That was their strategy in that game, and it paid off. You know, when they interviewed him after the third quarter, I believe it was, when Philly made that kind of little run, Mm -hmm. And he said, well, we're going to give up inside baskets because we want to shut down the three. And they did. You know, I mean, those names you read, it's, you know, we're not talking all-time NBA All-Stars here. Hmm. So when you when you have Terry Rozier and Marcus Smart and Morris and, and Ogilvy and Baines rounding out your, your eight-man rotation, and I believe that's pretty much what they did. You know, they had the eight- or nine-man rotation. You know, you have to try to, you know, stick to a basic strategy. Deny them the three and see what happens. And yep. I think what happened was Philly was rusty. You could see it in the first half. They weren't clicking or whatever cliche you want to use. You, you know, it was like the Celtics came out, and they were still fresh after that game seven. 
And I don't think physical fatigue, I don't think fatigue's an issue for these athletes at this point. I, I think the layoff is always a more of a negative at this time. It, it helped the Bruins against Tampa. It helped the Celtics against Philly. So I, I'm, I'm not a big fan of the long layoff. These guys are athletes. They're great condition. Young men who, who can withstand, especially this early in the playoffs, playing every night or every night. And that benefited the Celtics a ton. And I give them all the credit for taking advantage of the opportunity. Philly gave them an opportunity because they were not playing well. They were not generating any offense. They were missing a lot of shots. They were missing free throws. And the Celtics took complete advantage of it. This was the best sort of game you'll get out of the Celtics and the worst sort of game you'll get out of Philly. I'm just wondering, Bill, did you make an official prediction before the series began? And how do you see the series playing out now? No, I didn't. I'm still seeking counseling over my Super Bowl prediction. Um <laughs> Boy, you know, I'm not going to pick against the Celtics because I'm, I'm not. But if I was in Omaha or Las Vegas and I was looking at this series, I would say that if Philly gets it going, they could run them off the floor. They could run them out of the building. But I don't know if the Celtics are going to give them that opportunity. I, I just think you have guys like Marcus Smart and Baines, and then you, you get a guy like Rozier who just was out of his mind. I mean, Philly has the potential to, to blow them out in this series because they have so much talent, but I'm not quite sure it's being marshaled correctly. And I don't know, maybe one more year, and these two, these two teams are battling in the conference finals for sure. You know, maybe Philly needs to do what the Celtics did last year and, and surprise people and make a run. I would think from a neutral perspective, you have to give them the edge. But from a Boston perspective, I'm just going to look at last night's game and say, wow, the Celtics can handle these guys. Hey, assuming full recoveries for Kyrie Irving and Gordon Hayward, how good will Boston be next season? And do you think we're going to see more matchups between these two teams, maybe in the East Finals in the next few years? Well, not to sound like some obnoxious prick from Boston, but I think that depends on Philly. I think the Celtics are there. I mean, look at the Celtics roster. Look at the box score. There's probably six guys that won't be here next year that can, you know, that contributed. And obviously Tatum and Brown are, you know, the young kids are going to be around, but they could trade Al Horford in a max deal contract swap. Terry Rozier isn't necessarily going to be here. Marcus Smart, Morris, those guys, I mean, they they flipped eight or nine guys after last year's team that went to the conference finals. And Danny, I tell you, I'm going to live up to my name. Danny and, and Brad are the best coach GM tandem in the league. It's like, you know, mostly it's, it's like, you know, you got two people to equal one Belichick. Well, they're like one Belichick plus playing Malcolm Butler. <laughs> well, speaking of the Super Bowl, Bill, just wondering, have fans up in New England come to grips yet that the Patriots lost the Super Bowl to a backup quarterback and a second-year head coach? Well, I think part of this whole Butler deal is I don't think they've hit that level yet. They're still scratching their heads over the Butler thing. You know, they give credit. Like I said before, they give credit to the Giants. It's not like the Eagles won that game because of any quirky David Tyree catches or a bad call. I mean, they outplayed the Patriots and outsmarted them. And I think most Patriots fans, you know, at the emotional age of 10, recognize and appreciate that. So I don't think the Patriots fans feel like, oh, my God, the second-year coach and backup QB beat us. I think they feel like, damn, we might have had a shot if we played our best player on defense, and they didn't. So, but, but that's not to take away from – nobody's taken away from the Eagles when they say that. It's just more like an inner frustration because the Eagles made the play. You know, the strip sack was the play. Yeah. That won, you, that won the game. 
That was the play. You give me that play back, and the Patriots win this thing amazingly. And that was the play, and they made it. That was the most important play of that game, and that's why they won, and the Patriots lost. Hey, follow this guy on Twitter, Real OBF, at Real OBF, the obnoxious Boston fan. This was fun. Bill Sparrows from the Boston Herald. Enjoy the Celtics-Sixers series. Oh, yeah. I mean, this, this is the next generation, without a doubt. You know, we've had, what, three generations, I guess? Yeah. Um, a two and a half, because it's been kind of a mess since the 80s. But these matchups have the potential to be, to be what we saw like 35 years ago. I agree. Thanks, Bill. Hey, Jack, good stuff. I'll tell you what, some really, really cool stuff. The 41, the 41 Hall of Famers is a number I didn't know. I, I really like that a lot. Yeah, they mentioned that on the TNT broadcast the other night, and that is pretty amazing. A lot of great talent over the years on these two teams, for sure. Yeah, and, and it's a shame for guys like uh, like Bill and, and some of our listeners uh, that they first got to see this back in the 80s, and they didn't get to see back in the 60s because the players then were fantastic, too. Not just Will, Bill Russell going at it, but... You know, that, that team, both of those teams were just full of great, great players. Yeah, and, you know, you and I both did come along in the mid-60s, I guess. So we got to see a lot of that, uh, you know, the John Havlicek and Sam Jones and Billy Cunningham and Hal Greer and all those guys. So we got to see at least a little bit of that era, which was pretty uh, pretty amazing. Yes, it was. And hey, uh, But I will tell you this. Bill is not as obnoxious as maybe his reputation has him. But no. who is obnoxious, and I will never – be able to say anything good about him is that Danny Ainge. <laughs> he's a pretty good GM though, but yeah, he is obnoxious. He was obnoxious as a player, and he's uh, you know a bit of a obnoxious guy now. But he knows what he's doing. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. We're gonna take pot shots. That's a good one to put right close to the top of the list. He he's one <laughs> of them. Absolutely. But I enjoy Bill. He does a good job, and he and I think uh, you know he, he's a homer just like we are. And he he made a little Super Bowl excuse that they didn't play their best defender. That was because their coach made that decision. So yeah, that that that's not an excuse. That was uh, that was an in-house decision there. And uh, but overall, he does a really good job, and he and he calls it like he sees it. And he gives credit where credit's due. I I, I like listening to him. Yeah, he's a good man. We'll have him on again at some point, I'm sure. All right. Well, hopefully in about two weeks when this series is over and we're moving on and he's, uh, we're wondering where he's crying. <laughs> hey, speaking of moving on, Bill, uh, we are almost done with Random Q2. I don't know if you know that or not, but we are into week nine, so your time on the hot seat is almost over. It is week nine of season two of Random Q2. Again, this is a little ten-week segment where I ask Bill two questions. The first question about a timely sports topic. The second one, uh, it's a opportunity where Bill picks a number from one to ten. He's only got two choices left, and the whole thing takes about two minutes. So let's do that right now, and then we'll move on and talk some Phillies. But right now, Bill, your first question in Random Q2 what is your most memorable moment from the long 76ers-Celtics rivalry? Say with Was it I'm, – I'm, my years are, and I'm not always good with these years, but it was when uh, they went up to Boston. Uh, I want to say it was a game six. Well, it was that final game. It was the, it was the beat LA game where Dr. J went crazy yep. and Andrew Tony went crazy. Um, I, I'm going to go with that one. And more, more so because as much as I saw those games in the 60s, and, and I do remember them, I certainly don't remember the details of one being a, you know, a greater game than the other. But that, 
that beat LA game was uh, was was a classic. And of course, uh, you know, there's always the fights and those other tussles they had along the way. But uh, I, I would put that at the top. Yeah, for me as well, man. That's what I, I mentioned to Bill. Uh, game 7, 1982, after the Sixers blew a 3-1 to series lead, had to go to Boston to win it in Game 7. They did. Tony went off, scored 34, and then we had the beat LA chant as uh, time wound down. So, yeah, that, that's a great memory for sure. Now, your second question, Bill. I need you to pick one of these remaining two numbers. It'll be 2 or 5. Uh, let's go with 5 tonight. Number 5. Number 5 will always love you. Thank you, Donovan. All right. I am a big horror movie fan, Bill. Are you, and if so, or even if not, what is your favorite horror flick? I don't know, uh, Chet. I don't watch horror movies. I don't know that I've ever watched any horror movie. Really? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. that. Throw some so you out you if I ever watched them. You have no memory of The Exorcist, The Shining, Psycho, Halloween, Oh, Psycho. Yeah, yeah. Psycho when I was a kid, that was really cool. I remember seeing that in the drive-in movies when I was about six or seven years old with my wow. sister and my cousins and all that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Not a horror fan. See, we lo- we do learn something here on Random Q2. Bill is not a horror fan. All right, not carry on, Bill. Fan. Yeah. Carry on. How about that? Huh? Hey, I, I do have one other Sixer uh, or uh, a Philly-Boston moment that rates right up at the top, too, while we have just about 30 seconds. How about... Flyers down three nothing in the series and come back and win the next four. Oh yeah, and then they were down three nothing in that game seven too. So yeah, that's uh, right. if you're yes, talking hockey, sir. that's a great memory. And then of yes, course you have uh, the finals in 1974 when the Flyers beat Boston to win the first cup. Yes, yes, absolutely. So just if we're throwing barbs at Boston, let's go ahead and throw them out there. There you hey, go. Chet, let's talk about those fighting Phils. They came off that four-game sweep of Danny Malloy's Pirates by losing six in the next eight. They've dropped third place in the East. They're 16-13, and 13, and Aaron Nolan needs to get them back on track tonight. Well, he is the main guy now, he and Arietta, I guess, and that's what a stopper is supposed to do after a little skid, right the ship. There's no excuse for losing a series to the awful Marlins let alone getting swept. So, as you said, Nola needs to come up big, and right now the Phils are ahead 2 nothing. I think, after 2. And the Phils' offense needs to help out with some timely hitting, which has been sorely missing of late. Oh, absolutely, along with a whole lot of other things. Chet, let's, I, I'm not getting this. There's strange things going on with these Gabe Kapler analytics, and, and we're going to talk about it. He's going to give us something to talk about all summer long with this stuff, and analytics last night blew the ball game. If you say so, no, I did not see the final inning, so as you and Andy like to say, time's yours. What exactly happened? Well, uh, the leadoff batter hits a single to center field, a line drive single to center field, except guess what? We didn't have a center fielder because we were shifted all over the place, and that single to center goes all the way to the wall, turns into a triple. Uh, We end up getting an out. We got a walk and all that. They get a single, win the game, walk it off. Hmm. That was it. That's a single. Now, I, yeah, like I said, I did not see the 10th inning, but here's the explanation that I can give you. Gabe is doing the whole analytics thing, and they're basing it on history and on you know performance of individual batters and pitchers and all of that. And if they say there's you know a 70% chance that the ball is going to go here, they're going to position the guys that way. But there's still a 30% chance that it's going to go somewhere else. So. Sometimes it's going to work great. Sometimes it's going to make you look like a fool. 
That's right. And and you're you're assuming that the ball's going to go there because you're assuming the pitcher is going to put the ball in the same spot that got it there. And yeah. that, you know, that that's it. just play. Just play. And by the way, speaking of uh craziness, your boy Aaron Altair still in the four hole again tonight. Oh for one again tonight, hitting a wonderful 190 while Reese Hoskins average has dropped about 30 points since he's moved to the two hole. You, I, yeah, you can't explain that to me. But go ahead. Well, okay, Altair actually was pretty hot until they moved him to the cleanup spot. He was like ten for twenty-seven or something over the previous uh, seven or eight games. So he was actually pretty hot. He actually got game-winning RBIs in two of those games, by the way. So he was one of their hottest hitters. He and O'Double. So yeah, they moved him to number four because Santana was still struggling, still is struggling. And then Hoskins got into a little funk even before they moved him, I think, out of the four spot. He was in an 0 for 13 over the last few games before getting a double in Tuesday night's game. So, uh, yeah, it's it's a little switched. I, I agree with you on this one, though. I don't think Altair is a cleanup hitter. I think Hoskins is the better fit there. But they're just trying different things because they've been losing a few games lately. So, you know, it's going to be a lot of experimentation the bottom line, they're, they're 16 and 13. Even though they've lost four in a row, they're still better than what we would have expected them to be, I think, at this point in the season. So it's a long season. There's still 80% of the season to go. So let's see what happens, and we'll come back and talk about it all Memorial Day. Yeah, well, I think your I think, your I think part is, is the thing. I think they're okay because I'm not sure maybe uh, the way this thing is going, we didn't get some smoke and mirrors early in the season and win, win some games. Uh, but, boy, there's there's a lot of struggling going on. And uh, as I said, I think it was last week or the week before, number one, Hernandez, number three, Herrera, number four, Hoskins, and work around it. Leave it alone and let it play itself out. And, hey, speaking of early in the season, there was a story that came out later late this afternoon about just how much of a mess that first week was. I mean, some of the players apparently were really questioning the whole Kapler situation, some of his moves, the pitchers worried about their arms falling off. And from what I heard, Pat Neshack actually kind of addressed it with Kapler. Uh, Neshack was on the DL, still is. Um, but he said, you know, things were not very good in the clubhouse, that some guys were really upset, wondering what the heck was going on. And to Nishak and Kapler's credit, they sat down and talked about it. And I think Kapler gave in a little bit and made some changes. And the players have said they do have his back and that things are much better now. So, yeah, apparently it was a real mess the first week of the season. Well, you know what? It's great. It's great if the manager will let you come in and say your say your piece and uh, be willing to listen and, and maybe do some things to help out. That, that's good. That's a great sign, yeah. actually. But, hey, one other thing I wanted to ask you about. Uh, Kingry, Kingry took about 99 off the elbow uh, last night, the inside of the elbow, and I see he's not playing tonight. Um, do, do you know what the diagnosis is of him? I didn't hear anything official, but I did hear Gabe Kapler on with Angelo Cataldi on WIP this uh, morning. He's on every Wednesday. And he said it, it doesn't appear to be anything serious. He would not be going on the DL. He could, in fact, play tonight, but they would likely give him the night off just to, you know, rest it. But apparently he should be ready to go um, either Thursday or Friday. All right. But he, he certainly took one. Took one right off the inside of that elbow. I don't know if you got to see it or not, but it was. I did uh, see that. Yeah, that, that's a that's a tough spot to get hit in because that is sore. That, that really stings. Yeah, 
well, you're lucky. You know, first thing I thought is that that thing's broke, and he's he's yeah. done for the year. So, all right. Well, we we will have plenty more to talk about with the Phils. I think uh, the Kapler Analytics are going to going to keep us on our toes all summer oh, long. Oh yeah. All right. Hey, I wanted to get some signing updates yet because this is uh, one of those rare chances. I think that one time things the Villanova, the national champion Villanova Wildcats are invading Carl's Cards and Collectibles in Havertown. And check out this lineup. And if uh, if you're listening, you better hurry because national champion and national player of the year Jalen Brunson is in the store as we speak. He's probably waving to you right now, Chet, because I'm sure they're Maybe. listening. He'll be there until about 8:30. So uh, if you're close, run on over there or give Carl Henderson a call. Maybe there's still time to get a store item signed or something like that. Uh, Mikhail Bridges, who is declared for the NBA draft as an underclassman, he'll be in the store Saturday, May the 6th, from 12 to, 12 to 2, followed by the senior Wildcats, Denny Grace, Matt Kennedy, and Tom LeBeague, from 2.30 to 3.30. So you can get all the Villanova seniors uh, on your item as well. And if you missed it, uh, getting Chris Jenkins, as you remember, the 2006 National Championship, uh, Chris hit the game-winning shot, but he was not a senior at that time either. So when the signing sessions took place, uh, Chris was not available for that. So he will be in the store June the 2nd. It's a fantastic lineup. You can go for all the details to carlscards.com. Uh, Chet, are you, uh, you interested in any of that national championship memorabilia? Well, I am not personally. While I supported Nova as a Philly team and because I love the job Jay Wright has done there, it's you know not – quote unquote my team but I'm sure Carl will do just fine without me there Nova Nation will come out in force I have no doubt well I can tell you that uh, I am adding a couple of these to my collection so uh, Carl's taking care of that for me and uh, I will have these guys uh, in my in my collection on those national championship balls they're pretty cool I'm not surprised all right hey Chip before we get to our party shots tell us who's coming to Philly Press Box Radio next week Well, Bill, we had this guy on with us in the summer of 2015, quite a while ago. But this is the perfect time to have him back on with us because his longtime best friend just celebrated a landmark birthday, that friend being Mm -hmm. the Philly fanatic. Mm -hmm. Joining us next week to talk about that amazing mascot, now 40 years young, is the guy who was there right from the big green guy's arrival, born on the Galapagos Islands, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, motivational speaker, mascot coach, and the original Philly fanatic, David Raymond, and maybe he'll bring us a slice of birthday cake. Yeah, I tell you what, looking forward to that. When we had Dave uh, Dave on the last time, it was really good. If you remember, we had a lot of great stories, and we said, man, we could we could sit here and talk stories uh, all night long with him because he of his friendships he developed with different players and all that. That is really cool. Yeah, that was the summer of 2015, and, you know, I thought about having him back again, but we never got around to it. But then, with the Fanatic turning 40 this past week, I said, hmm, this is a great time to get Dave back on. Yes, it is. Good good choice. All right, my man. Well, hey, uh, Mr. Chesco, do you have a party shot tonight? I, I do not. All right. We don't talk much about teams from other cities on Philly Press Box Radio, but what a certain hockey team has done this season is pretty remarkable. The expansion Vegas Golden Knights, made up of cast-offs from all other NHL teams, such as former Flyer Pierre-Edouard Bellemare, finished their inaugural season with 109 points, which happens to be 11 more than your Flyers. 
They won the Pacific Division. The Golden Knights were fifth in the league in scoring and tenth in killing penalties. They swept the L.A. Kings in the first round of the playoffs, and as we speak, they lead the San Jose Sharks two games to one in the second round. All of a sudden, they're at or near the top of the NHL postseason power rankings. A big reason for their postseason success, 33-year-old goaltender Marc-Andre Fleury. The former longtime Penguins netminder is 6-1 with a 1.23 goals against average and three shutouts in this year's playoffs. You hear that, GM Ron Hextall? A quality <laughs> goaltender. Anyway, with the Flyers gone from the postseason, if I'm rooting for any team in the Stanley Cup playoffs, you can bet. It's the Vegas Golden Knights. What a great story. It is a great story, and I tell you what, that Mark Andre Fleury, as much as you know, he plays for that team on the West Side over there. But uh, he's got a couple Stanley Cups himself, and uh, he is certainly capable of putting the team on his shoulders and carrying them. Yeah, uh, they almost won in overtime uh, in Game Two, I guess it was. Ended up uh, a goal not counting, and so they had to play on and lost that one. But then they came back and won in overtime in Game Three of the second round series. So, yeah, I'm behind those Vegas Golden Knights. Yeah, me too. That's they're they're fun to watch. Hey, how about uh, how about Pittsburgh crying like a bunch of girls about the NF, uh, NHL officiating? <laughs> Does that surprise you? With Sidney Crosby there. And one other thing, did you see Ken Giles punching himself in the face? That was a hoot. <laughs> I didn't see that one. I had to YouTube that one or Google yeah, it Yeah, tough up. outing Tuesday night. He was frustrated. He gave up the go-ahead run or whatever. Walked off the mound, threw a fit, and punched himself in the face. It was a great moment. Yeah, that's not that's not a good thing. All right, Mr. Chesko. Well, with that, we've reached the top of the hour. So let's thank our special guest, Ray Dittinger, Bill Sparrows, Irish Rover Station House and Bob Sullivan's LikeYourAge.com for their continued support of the show. For Jim Chechesco, this is Bill Furman. We hope you enjoyed the show, and we'll join Philly Press Box Radio next Wednesday, May the 9th at 7, 7 p.m. when David Raymond joins us. You can listen through our website, phillypressboxradio.com, our Facebook page, or on the Internet at www.blogtalkradio.com slash phillypressboxradio, or on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, and Mixcloud. High hopes, Philadelphia sports fans. For the Villanova Wildcats at Carl's Cards, national champions and Philadelphia Eagles, Super Bowl 52 champions. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.